our faith in Christ, we have reminded ourselves anew of the Gospel. And so I want to ask if you would to turn with me to Romans chapter 1. And let's speak just a little more about the Gospel. Romans chapter 1. As we continue our verse-by-verse study of this book, and we have come to the central point of the book, which is found in verses 16 and 17. Romans 1, verses 16 and 17. Hopefully you know it by heart. If you don't, learn it. (laughs) Say it together as a family around the table or whenever you get a chance. Put this in your hearts and minds. These are two verses you ought to have memorized for your good. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Our focus right now is verse 16. A few weeks ago, we looked at the beginning of this verse. I am not ashamed of the Gospel. And we talked about the reasons why Paul was not ashamed. And the reasons why you and I should never be ashamed of the Gospel. Last week, we looked at the middle of the verse. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. We talked about how only the power of God can save us. And how that power is given through this message called the Gospel. So that if we long to see people saved, then we must get on our knees and pray to God, and then we must get off our knees and present and proclaim and preach the Gospel. Because no other message has the power to save but that message. I remember what one pastor said about Charles Spurgeon. He said, I will, he said uh, Charles Spurgeon might preach the Gospel better but he can never preach a better gospel. And that's because there is no better gospel than that of Christ crucified. There is no other message that will save souls. Christ crucified for sinners is the message we preach. Mount Hermon Missionary Baptist Church, let us love the gospel. This morning we focus on the end of our verse. To everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. When we first believe the gospel, we are counted right here, this church, this is great news. We are counted righteous before God, and our sins are forgiven. As we continue to believe the gospel and live in it and rest in it day in and day out, it it saturates us, it changes us, it transforms us and, and makes us holy little by little. It's such a long process, but the gospel changes us so that on the day we stand before God, we will not only be counted righteous because of the gospel, but we will have been made righteous by the gospel. It saves us. But who is this for? This wonderful gift of salvation. 
Who's allowed to believe it and be saved? We see the word everyone. We see the word everyone. And we rejoice in that word, everyone. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Your worst sins do not disqualify you. Your ethnic heritage does not disqualify you. Your social status does not disqualify you. If you are a human being, though you may have committed the most terrible sins and have been utterly abhorrent in the sight of God, though you may have brought great pain into the lives of many people, nevertheless, there is forgiveness and new life and healing and freedom that is freely offered to you in the Gospel. Mark this. The only thing that will disqualify you or anyone from being saved from the wrath of God, made His child, made a recipient of His blessings, given the Holy Spirit to fix you, given His peace and love and joy, the only thing that can disqualify you from all the lavish blessings that God wants to pour on you through Christ is this, unbelief. Unbelief. Everyone who hears the message of Christ crucified and believes it will be saved. Let me hear everybody say the word everyone. Say everyone. Everyone. That's what missions is about. That's why we want to get the gospel to the nations because it's for everyone. That's why we set up booths at community festivals. And that's why we hand out gospel booklets to anybody who will take them. Because the gospel is for everyone. That's why we should be ministering to the poor, the homeless, the addicted, those in prison. Because the gospel is for everyone. And it's why we should seek to reach the wealthy and the successful and those who seem to have it all. Because the gospel is for everyone. And included in that word, everyone, is you and even me. The worst sinner I know is saved by the gospel. It is for everyone. So when, when Satan comes to you and tries to whisper in your ear, it's for everyone but you. You are too far gone. You've messed up one too many times. You've been too unfaithful to God. This sin, this is the end. You've blown it. The gospel will save everyone except for you. You are too far gone. Satan may try and whisper that in your ear. When he does, you take out your Bible and turn to Romans 1.16, or better yet, have it in your heart and preach it to yourself and preach it to that worm of a serpent and say, no, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And you you believe it. But here's the thing. If it were you or I, we would probably have stopped there. The gospel is for everyone. 
And for some reason, Paul does not stop there. He says the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul, why did you say that? I mean, Paul, don't you want to emphasize the gospel is for everyone? Why are you going to say that and then immediately seem to mess it up by bringing in this division? It's for everyone. The Jews are first. If I'd written the Bible, I wouldn't have written it that way. Aren't you glad I didn't write the Bible? Paul, what does that even mean? This is the kind of phrase that when we're reading the Bible at home, we're sometimes tempted to just skip over it. We know we don't fully understand what's being said, but we just, you know, we just move on. And so we need to reaffirm for ourselves that we believe that every word of the Bible is significant. God did not inspire words in the Bible for us to skip over. He inspired them for us to understand them and benefit from them, for the Holy Spirit to use them to change us and make us more like Christ. Even these words to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So I wonder, if my six-year-old son came to you and asked, what does it mean when the Bible says the gospel's for the Jews first? also to the Greek? How would you answer that question? How would you explain that? Let's unpack this together. I know that the negative side of having the Lord's Supper first is we've already gotten your stomach juices going. We just gave you a little teeny bit of food and now your stomach may already be saying, oh, I want more. And so I need you to hold on with me. Lunch will come. It'll, It'll get there. But let's learn together what Paul has for us in this phrase. We have Jews. You know who they are. Children of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And we have Greeks. In verse 15, the verse right above this verse, we've already learned about the Greeks because Paul describes two kinds of Gentiles. Remember, Gentiles are non-Jews. All right, And there's two kinds of Gentiles that Paul delineates. He, He describes them as Greeks and as barbarians. Greeks were known as the more civilized Gentiles, those who, who had education, those who were sophisticated. The, the, the Gentiles in Rome would have been considered Greeks. You know, they had access to, to the technology of the day. They had access to literature and music and sports and, uh, you know, those things. Whereas the barbarians were considered the more savage Gentiles. Those off to the, the north and the northeast. And so Paul here uses these words, Jews and Greeks, to refer to Gentiles. I'm sorry, the word Jews obviously refers to Jews, but the word Greeks, he refers, he's actually speaking here of all Gentiles, but he's using this word Greeks because those are the Gentiles to whom he is writing. The Gentiles in Rome would have considered themselves Greeks. Now, so we have Jews and we have Gentiles, and Paul says the gospel is for everyone. Jews first. And then also Gentiles. What does he mean? First, let me tell you three ways that there's no difference between Jews and Gentiles when it comes to the gospel and salvation. Three ways in which we are as Gentiles. I don't think there's any any Jews in this room, so glad you're here. 
Okay, but, but if, you know, I think most of us in here are Gentiles, and I want to explain three ways that we are on the same level as Jews when it comes to the gospel and salvation. Very quickly, number one, both Jews and Gentiles need to be saved. We are the same in our need of salvation. There's no one without a need for the gospel. When it comes to sin and lostness, all of us, Jews and Gentiles, stand under the wrath of God and in need of salvation. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So Jews and Gentiles are the same in their need for salvation. Number two, the way of salvation is the same for both Jews and Gentiles. There's no difference between the way Jews are saved and the way Gentiles are saved. Even in our day, there seem to be a lot of TV preachers who think that that Jews go to heaven because they're Jews. The very thing that Jesus taught against in the Gospels. No, there is only one way of salvation, and it is the same for both Jews and Gentiles. The blood of Jesus. Jesus did not just die for Gentiles, and He did not just die for Jews, but both Jews and Gentiles together are saved through the blood of Christ. So we have the same need, salvation, the same way of salvation, Jesus. And then third, Jews and Gentiles are the same in that the same requirement for salvation is given to both. Both Jews and Gentiles must believe the gospel, rest in Christ, trust God in order to be saved. It's really interesting to think about how all humanity fell. Remember? In Adam, we all sinned, Paul's going to later say in Romans. Here is Adam and Eve, and they're at the tree, and uh, the serpent is speaking to Eve, and and the serpent tells her, you know, this, this lie, did God really say you would die? And Eve makes a choice. She makes a choice to trust the word of the serpent and not to trust God. And her failure to trust God and Adam's failure to trust God resulted in all of us being in sin. How does this get reversed? What is the way that God has provided for us to be saved? By doing the opposite of what Adam and Eve did. Choosing to trust God. We reverse the fall. We come and we have the word of the Lord. Believe on Jesus and you will be saved. And here's the serpent over here saying, don't believe it, don't believe it. That can't be how it works. You must have to earn God's salvation. You must have to be good enough. you got to do this and this. And so you have the word of the serpent and you have the word of God. And the question is this, will we believe the word of God this time? At your tree. In your Garden of Eden, in your moment right now, when God comes to you and says, all you have to do is receive my Son, and the serpent will give you every reason to to doubt that, will you believe? For Jews and Gentiles, we all have a common need of salvation. We're all saved through Jesus. The requirement for us all is belief. So what is different? What does Paul mean when he says that the Jews in some way have priority and that the gospel is for the Jews first? We mentioned two ways I think the Jews are first when it comes to the gospel and salvation. Now, Herman, I know right now you said this sounds like it has no practical application for my life. Jews and Gentiles, what's this all about? Hold on, listen, pay attention. 
This does have practical application for your life. We will get there. Listen. Number one. The Jews are first in that God, in his sovereign wisdom and grace, chose to give the gospel to the Jews first. They had the gospel before the world had the gospel. It began with Abraham. God came to him with the promise of blessing. Paul tells us in Galatians 3 that God preached the gospel, even uses that word gospel, to Abraham. And we are told that Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham did not yet know everything we know. He might have known from Genesis 3.15 that one day a Savior would come, but all he knew at this moment, he didn't know the name of Jesus. He didn't know of a cross. He didn't know of a, of a tomb with a stone rolled away. All he knew was that God was coming to him and saying, I will be your God and you will be my child and I will make a blessing out of you if you will trust me. He did. When Jesus came in the fullness of time, he came to the Jews. He spent his ministry among the Jews. He preached among the Jews. All 12 of his disciples were what? Jews. While he was on the earth, he only sent his disciples to preach in Jewish cities. And only after his resurrection did he commission them to go elsewhere. And even then, it was the custom of Paul, a Jew to go into Gentile cities. And when he came to a Gentile city, the first place he would go to was the Jewish synagogue. And he would preach the gospel to the Jews in that city first. And only after they had thrown him out did he go to the Gentiles of the city. It seems to have been God's way in history to give the gospel to the Jews first. But why? Why? Well, this brings us to the second and primary reason why I believe the Jews are first when it comes to the gospel and salvation. God, in His sovereign wisdom and grace, chose to make salvation of the Jews. That is, God chose to make the Jewish people the instrument through which He brought the gospel and salvation to the world. Let me say that again. I think this is what Paul has in mind when he says the Jews are first. That the Jews are first in the sense that God chose to make the Jewish people the instrument through which He brought the gospel and salvation to the world. God's purpose is to reveal His glory and save His people from all over the earth. And the Jews have been His special instrument in accomplishing this. Evidence 1, Genesis 12. God comes to Abram. Abram doesn't know God. Abram's a moon worshiper. And suddenly God breaks into his life and says, Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Abram, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Listen, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And listen, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. 
Abram, out of all the people of the world, I've chosen you. And I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to make a nation from you. And I'm going to bless that nation. And why am I going to do this? Why is there a people called Jews? Why is there a nation called Israel? So that through them, God would bless all the families of the earth. The reason Israel exists was that through them, God would bless the world. Evidence two, the history of Israel. Friends, your Old Testament is all about Jews. There's no Americans in your Old Testament, is there? Yet God has given us this history of Israel in the Bible that in Israel we might learn about ourselves. Again and again in the Old Testament, God is faithful and gracious to Israel. And again and again, Israel is incapable of being obedient and faithful to God. God blesses, they fall into sin. God brings judgment, they cry out for repentance. God saves. God blesses, they fall again. And Israel stumbles and stumbles and stumbles. And God is gracious and God is gracious and God is gracious. And ultimately... After God has to bring many judgments because they kept falling, God comes to them with a new covenant. The new covenant in my blood. We just talked about it. God comes with a new covenant. He says, not only now am I going to give Israel laws, I am going to use my spirit and put the law in their hearts so that they have the ability to do it, so they have the desire to do it. The story of the Bible, the story of Israel, is a story given to all the other nations of the world that we might see ourselves in that story and see our own need for salvation and be saved. The story of Israel is a microcosm of my life and your life given to us that we might see ourselves in it as looking in a mirror. I am stubborn Israel. I'm that stubborn nation that won't ever act like they ought to. And just as they needed a new covenant, just as they needed the Spirit of God to break in and change their lives, just as they needed a Messiah, that is what I need. Evidence three. The fact that Jesus was a Jew. Don't miss that. God Himself came to earth as a human being. And He did not come as a European or an American or a Roman, but as a Jew. He obeyed the Jewish law. It was the law of God. He worshipped the Jewish God because He's the true God. It was Jesus that told his disciples to be his witnesses beginning in Jerusalem and then Judea and Samaria and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. God chose to use the Jewish people as the instrument through which he would get the gospel and salvation to the nations and this climax in the first century when God came as a Jew and gave himself for us as a Jew. As Jesus told the woman at the well, salvation is of the Jews. Finally, evidence four, for why I believe the 
Jews are an instrument through which God is getting the gospel and salvation to the world, is that when we who are Gentiles are saved, the Bible tells us we become Jews. Not physically, not ethnically, but spiritually. Do we want to sing it again? We've done it before. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and you are too. So let's just praise the Lord. Right? Did y'all sing that in Sunday school growing up? I did. Right? Why is that song not a complete lie? What do I mean when I say, I'm a son of Abraham, you're a son of Abraham, let's praise the Lord? What is that? That's because God came and made a promise to Israel, to the children of Abraham, you will be my people, I will be your God. And now the Bible says that because of this Jewish Messiah, when we come to Christ and believe on Him, we become a part of that covenant. We join with that family. Galatians 3, 6-9. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, knowing then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Verse 9, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. When we trust in the God of Israel and in His Son, we become one family with the prophets and the priests and all those throughout Israel's history who were true followers of God. I don't have time to dive in with you to to Romans 11 today. But in that passage, we learn that God's people are like a tree. A Jewish tree. And those Jews who have refused to trust God, those Jews who have refused Christ, are branches that have been broken off of that tree and cast aside. And those Gentiles who have heard the message of Christ and believed are like foreign branches that are brought to this tree and the branches are, are, are tied onto the tree. They're, they're brought into the tree in such a way that we are grafted in. And suddenly the same nourishment and all that the, that the Jewish people of God who are truly His experience suddenly becomes ours as well. God created the Jewish nation And many of them by faith became a part of His eternal people. And from this Jewish nation, and from their laws, and from their story, and from their scriptures, and preeminently from their Messiah, God chose to save people from every tongue, and every tribe, and every nation. The Jews are first in that God brought the gospel and the way of salvation to them first, that in them and through them it would come to the world. All right, Justin. That's all well and good. What does it mean for us? Folks, what Paul was doing in this verse, in the last part of this verse, is magnifying the grace of God. He is making clear that none of us, whether Jew or Gentile, have reason to boast. We only have reason to be thankful for the grace of God. To us Gentiles who might think that we have something over the Jews, he says, Gentiles, remember, you were not first. 
Salvation is of the Jews. It's only sheer mercy that the gospel has come to you. It's only grace that has brought you in and grafted you into this people of God. Take your pride. Throw it on the ground. Stomp on it till it's dead. Know that you do not deserve these blessings, but God in His kindness has taken you and made you a part of His special people. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of promise. You had no hope. You were without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off Gentiles have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Ephesians 2, 12. Do you see what he's doing now, Herman? Do you see what Paul's doing? Do you see what God is doing in Paul? He wants us to see that the gospel is for everyone. He wants us to see that the gospel is all of grace. And more than that, He wants to rid us, just as He wanted to rid this church, of any sense of ethnic superiority. This was a church founded by Jews. Emperor Claudius said, all the Jews have to leave. The Jewish Christians had to leave this church in Rome. Meanwhile, while the Jews were gone, the church continued to grow. Now predominantly Gentiles. The Jewish Christians are allowed back into Rome. Suddenly they're back in this church that is predominantly Gentile. So you have this mixture of Gentiles and Jews and they're trying to live together. They're trying to, to, to live together in a church. In our day, we'd say, why don't they just start separate churches? You know, Jews and Gentiles don't worship the same way. They don't like the same things. It's not the way of the gospel. The way of the gospel is, is making those who are different one. And say, so here's Jews and here's Gentiles. And there's tension. There's difficulty as they try and live together as a people of God. The Jews, we're the Jews. We're the special people of God. The Gentiles, no, no, no. You're the people that have refused your Messiah. We're the ones who are special now. And so here, in these words, Paul is addressing that issue. No ethnic superiority. Gentile Christians, be humbled. The Jews are first. It's grace that you are included. Jewish Christians, be humbled. For the Gentiles have a place. And all the blessings that you thought were yours alone are entirely for them as well. God can make children of Abraham out of anybody. His special relationship with you, dear Jews, has always been for the benefit of the world. And so Jews and Gentiles together throw away all your feelings of ethnic superiority and rejoice in grace. Mount Hermon Missionary Baptist Church, what I tell you, I tell you with love, we must never Look upon another person of any other background or any other skin color or any other difference from us and think that we are somehow more deserving of the favor of God than they are. Never. Not if we believe the gospel. If we believe that we are right with God, only, solely, 100% because of Christ. We can't talk that way. It's not 
I'm right with God and God loves me because of Jesus. And oh yeah, I'm white. God loves me and I'm right with God because of Jesus. And oh yeah, I'm not poor. I'm, I'm right with God. He loves me because of Jesus. And, 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 and not only because of Jesus, but also because my house looks nice. You would never say that with your mouth. But it's funny how those feelings can be in our hearts so subtly. You just drive down the road and you see somebody who looks different from you. And just, it just happens. There's these feelings of, I'm glad I'm not like that person. My salvation rests on Christ alone, and I cannot boast in any other aspect of who I am except this. By God's grace, I'm a believer in Jesus. None of it, my race, my background, my social status, merits me anything with God. Who are the most hated people in the world today? It's the Jews. Entire nations are united around a desire to destroy the Jews. They are viciously hated in many places in the Middle East and Southeast Asia. And yet these are the ones that God chose, not because of anything in them, but because of His sovereign purpose to use as His instruments to bless the world. And through them, the gospel has come to us. So what's our response to this message? Number one, let's use the weapon of the gospel to kill all feelings of ethnic superiority in our lives, all racism, all ethnocentrism, that's my American culture is superior to your other culture. We have to get rid of all of that. The gospel won't let us hold on to that. We have to kill it by the gospel. And then second, we rejoice and we boast and we exalt in the grace of God to all people and we take the gospel to the world. Amen. If you're here this morning, whether Jew or Gentile, whether poor or wealthy, no matter your background, no matter your past sins, no matter how badly you may have hurt others, by God's grace there is forgiveness for you. You can be fixed by the Holy Spirit. You can be set on a path that would bring peace and joy into your life. Salvation is offered to you through this message. Jesus died for your sins if you'll trust in Him. Will you embrace Christ this moment as a Savior for sinners? Will you hear Him saying, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. Will you hear that call and will you answer it by running to Him in your heart right now, throwing yourself upon Christ as your only hope of salvation, seeing that He is so good and so wise. You declare Him the leader of your life and you look to Him from this point forward. 
show you how to live. If you're willing to become a follower of Jesus and you've never been one, you need to show it by being baptized and getting into a church where your faith can begin to grow and mature. For the rest of us who are here, we need to 